Good evening. Or morning. <laughs> oh, it's pants. Or afternoon. Hi. Hiya. Hey. Hello. Welcome to At The Table. So this is the start of series two proper, because last Ooh. episode we did our little um, getting to know you, getting to know us episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If you didn't enjoy it, why are you bothering to listen to the second one, eh? <laughs> so I'm Joe. I'm John. I'm Beth. And I'm Lucy. Um, okay, so what we're going to be doing in this series is looking at some of the, what we've called Sunday school classics. So we were talking about, when we were talking about what to do for the second series we realised that a lot of the things that we learnt when we were younger and we were going to church doesn't always match up with what we read when we read it now in the Bible. Um, and we were thinking of those classic stories that come up in Sunday school and you get presented with one version of it. And um, a lot of the time it seems quite a happy place to be, the, the land of the Bible. Um, but when you read them as an adult, it's a little bit less... Um, shiny and happy and friendly um, and there's some darker stuff in there that you often don't realise and there's details in there that you don't realise and we wanted to explore that a bit more because actually a lot of the time it makes the Bible seem a bit more real and believable and useful for us. Perfect. So some of the ones that we were going to talk about include... Daniel the Lion's Den. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. David and Goliath. Yeah. And a favourite of your t- both John and Lucy. Oh yeah. Jonah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Found out Just in the last a few episode. Ones. Good old Jonah. But today, oh, big day. It's massive day. We're looking at. No. no. I forgot. Oh, I was. <laughs> I thought I'd do that really underwhelmed, and you went way over the top. And <laughs> Noah. Do it again. Do it again. Okay. Here we go. No. no. That <laughs> <laughs> just sounds ridiculous. It's like you're really not happy at all. Yeah. Like, I really don't like this story. So, <laughs> Noah. <laughs> um, Noah, the guy who built a boat. <laughs> <laughs> so, should we start by um, doing a very quick summary of what we remember from Sunday school? For okay. me, yeah. it was a nice, lovely-looking wooden boat. Um, mm-hmm. Nice little peaked roof on the top, animals going two by two, very orderly, it's like they can speak English, and I was like, (laughs) right guys, we're going to do alphabetical aardvarks through to zebras, Um, and they had a lovely time on the ark, it was absolutely beautiful, and then they came out, and they were on dry land, and then there was a rainbow, that's what I remember. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's how I remember it really. Yeah. My ark has windows and all the animals that are looking out the window. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. there is no rain. They're all like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So good. There's water but there's no rain. Yeah. My thing is the ark is perfectly curved, it's always rounded at the bottom, it looks um very nicely carved. Yeah, Car- <laughs> carved. Carved. <laughs> carved is fine. Because you would carve a boat, you wouldn't make it out Straight of Straight out of one log. <laughs> yeah, one's one biggest big tree. tree. <laughs> yeah. It's one massive log. But yeah, very uh, beautifully crafted. Mm, very and clean as well. Yeah. Mm. Always like light coloured wood. And a very old white man. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big yeah. white beard. With white his white like family. Father, like Father Christmas. Yep. Yeah. Do you think he has a flat yeah. cap? He must have one. John would. Oh, yeah, yeah. J- John's version of no. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the Peaky Blinders version. <laughs> he's got a big um, walking stick, though. Yes. Yeah. It's like, he's like a wizard, isn't he, really? Yeah. He's like Gandalf. So then it always surprised me that you had young sons, because I was like, you are old. Yeah. Sugar daddy. <laughs> I guess he, he could be old and run a ship, though, because he just needs to float. He doesn't need to go anywhere. Yeah, but, no, but what I was surprised about was how young his sons were. Yeah. Yeah. How old's your dad? 700. <laughs> it's just a little bit strange. Yeah. Uh, what's the other thing? Yeah, it's always they're always smiling. All the animals are always smiling. Yeah. And you'd think, surely after so many days on an ark, you'd get a bit bored. Yeah. But, and also, know. the boat's not even that big. Nah. And it's just like your classic elephants, zebras, lions, tigers. It's not spacious. Birds, that's it. Like, yeah. You forget that there's actually like... 500 varieties of cow that you've got to feed. And defecation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. where does the poo go? <laughs> and, and food, what do they eat? Because they didn't take spare animals to eat. Yeah. That's true. And it's always like just one mammal and one reptile, but. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. It's always just like a pair of birds. Yeah. Like, no, there are millions examples. of birds. Yeah. So, uh, whatever we learnt was, uh, was fake. Fake news. So, <laughs> well, who knows? 
Um, Maybe. Beth, do you want to explain what we did just before we started recording? Yes, so we watched the film Noah, which was 2016. What coincidence. (laughs) How funny. Um, From director Darren Aronofsky. Uh, I have watched that film many, many, many times. Probably too many, actually. How many, if you had to put a number on it, how many would you say? Over 20, for sure. Oh my goodness. I've not even brushed my teeth that many times. (laughs) (laughs) Considering it's only been out four years, that's quite a lot, but... How many is that a year? A context, I'm not like a fangirl of, like, the film. I do love the film, but I had to watch it for a a university piece. I wrote um, my end-of-year essays on it. Um, as an interpretation of accuracy versus mediocrity of biblical interpretations. Mm. So, interesting. fancy. And we'll be reading that at the end. <laughs> Stay on for the extra five hours of <laughs> audiobook. <laughs> Appendix one. That's me just reading through. You could get special guests to read it, though, like Russell Crowe. Why not? Give it a go. Send it to him. See if he'll read Perfect it. Perfect for our insomniac listeners. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me and you, Joe, are like reading it up at three when we can't sleep. Chapter one. <laughs> it's all right, I'm done. I'm asleep. <laughs> but so, yeah, yeah, we thought it'd be a really good... The Sunday school versions are all these like watered-down, children-friendly PG versions, whereas this film was very dark. Would you all attest to that? Mm-hmm. It was extremely dark. Um, a lot darker than I think a lot of people actually realise when they first watch it. They th- don't realise it's going to be so dark, but I guess we'll talk about that as we get into mm. it. Mm. Bible verse that the story of Noah is in is actually over four chapters. It's Genesis, starts at Genesis 6 and ends at Genesis 9 verse 17. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them, but Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. 
Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark, as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, on the seventeenth day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. For forty days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than fifteen cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals, and the creatures that move along the ground, and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for a hundred and fifty days. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the water had gone down. And on the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the tenth month, and on the first day of the tenth month the tops of the mountains became visible. After forty days Noah opened a window he had made in the ark, and sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground, but the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's six hundred and first year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the twenty-seventh day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in numbers on it. So Noah came out, together with his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground, and all the birds, everything that moves on land, came out of the ark, one kind or another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and, t and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful, and in ceasing number, and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth, and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants, 
and now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal, and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for all the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall be their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, livestock, and all the wild animals, all those who came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy all the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and a rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all life on the earth. Well, that's different from both my preconceptions and from the film. Mm. Mm. What stood out to you? Um, some of the timings mm. were interesting. So God gave them seven days to build the ark, which doesn't seem like a long time to build a massive boat. And in the film, they made it very clear that it was years, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Between his first, like, prophesying dreams about the water and the mm. the new life mm. springing up until they actually, like, even started constructing the boat. It was, they made it feel like it was, I don't know, what, a decade or...? At least, yeah. Yeah. Because the children, because when it started... They were boys, weren't they? were boys and then they were men. Maybe yeah. seven years. Maybe seven days, seven years. Maybe. Yeah. I was going to say, it takes me like an hour to make a lasagna. <laughs> so, translate that into making boats and how many days we're talking. Well, I guess I guess it depends if I was making a boat out of lasagna. Yeah, That sounds a tasty boat. <laughs> <laughs> and then after they built the boat, so it rained for 40 days, but then the water didn't subside for 150 days. But then, if we're talking about the actual dates in terms of our calendar, so it said, what, the 17th of February? Yeah. It mm -hmm. started, was that when the flood started? When the rain started? And then the tops of the mountains became clear on the 1st of October or something. Mm. I think that's what it said. Something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, that's in, who read that, John? Yeah. John. Yeah, the water receded steadily from the earth at the end of the 150 days the water had gone. Uh, on the 17th day of the 7th month, Oh, the ark came to rest on the mountains. My birthday! Yeah, I don't think it started New Year's Day. <laughs> so your birthday's the anniversary of... Yeah! Ark and land. That's cool. The I destruction don't know of all mankind. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, Happy yeah. birthday! So on the 17th of July, if we're talking in our calendar months, the mm -hmm. ship landed on the Ararat mountain range, and then on the 1st of October, the tops of the mountains came to view. The thing that stood out for me, which was when you were reading, Lucy, and I think it for you as well, when it was like seven pairs of mm. every kind of clean animal and a male and its mate. Yeah, so exactly. it's like it's not they're coming in two by two, they're coming in 14, 14. By 14. <laughs> 14 by 14. There's seven pairs of each animal, but then when they get there, it burns half of them. So. <laughs> yeah, so... Sorry, mate, so you're coming along for the journey. With but, some of them uh, food, because he said, take all the food you need as well. So a lot of the food yeah, is going to be meat for some of the animals, isn't it? If you don't want them killing each other just on the boat, yeah. he's got to have killed and prepared all their food. So for, I guess that's yeah, why like there is months. that. It's, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because we've talked... One of the reasons why we're doing this is because we have these, like, childhood stories that we are told to know and we, like, we take as... When I say... We take as Bible, I mean that as like, we take it as truth, because that's mm. what we understand the Bible yeah. to be, isn't it, truth? But when you get older, you have all these like questions, don't you? Like, well, how did they animals stay on there without eating each other or mm -hmm. eating Noah mm -hmm. or his family? Mm. Or how, what did they eat for all that time, etc.? And in the film, um, the film Noah that we watched, that the director provided his own interpretation of what they might have done in that they put them to sleep with a medicinal herb yeah. mm -hmm. scent. They wafted a scent 
<laughs> and they put them to sleep. But the trouble and the difficulty is that we have is that we have to read between the lines. We get given a very specific set of mm. what happened here. We don't get a, and this is how he did this, mm-hmm. and this is how he did this, because to the writer, the author, that wasn't important. But I guess for us, we're like, we need detail. Mm. <laughs> we're used to detail, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. It's only nowadays with TV and news and all the stuff nowadays. Like at the time, they probably just read it. It was almost like a story more than actually looking at the minute little details. Because mm. I think that's something that I'm looking at and I'm going, yeah, why why this, why that? And I think it is, you just got to almost read it like a kid's story yeah. in a really weird way. Well, it's interesting you say that because I feel like we look, like you say, we look for the how is it done. It's like trying to see the magician's secret kind of thing. Mm. I was just thinking in the last section of the reading, I felt like it spent a lot of time talking about the aftermath and where Mm. God's explaining the new relationship with the humans. Mm. And I was thinking, oh, this seems like a really long bit. But actually, I think that's kind of the point, isn't it? That's yeah. the important bit. It's important why God did this in the first place. Yeah, the and, mm. and what happens after. And here's us worrying about, oh, how many animals? And like, how did he do that? And like, mm. oh, the poo must have smelled and all that. <laughs> and that's probably not the important bit, which is yeah. why we're not told all this detail. Because actually, mm. it doesn't really matter. Mm. Mm-hmm. What also struck me when I was reading going back to the storytelling of it, was how repetitive it was. Yeah. Did anybody else get that? I felt like I kept reading the same line over and over again because it kept just saying, and two of every animals went into the ark, and into the ark went two of every animal, male and female, <laughs> and then he took two of every male and female animal. And I was like, we've read this, we know this bit, why do you keep like hammering it home? But it said it so many times. So like, there was he wanted to stress that bit of it, like... Mm what got saved and how rather than all the details like you mm. said of the poo and everything yeah. well it's like the bit that where it's almost like it keeps repeating itself about the and never again will i destroy all living creatures yeah mm. but that repeats itself i think for almost like 15 verses yeah. because yeah. come out the ark and then it says i will you know multiply on the earth and it keeps going on about that doesn't it so i was confused in chapter six because it says right at the start of the story god said i'll get rid of oh, i'm in the message translation now I'll get rid of my ruined creation, make a clean sweep. People, animals, snakes and bugs, birds, the works. I'm sorry I made them. And then he keeps saying in chapter 6 that he's going to get rid of everything. I'm going to wipe everything off the earth. Blah, blah, blah. And then it gets to the next verse and he goes, Oh, but hang on, I'll take Noah and some of the animals and let them live. Hmm. Do you see what I mean? So the whole of chapter 6 when I was reading it, I was thinking, he hasn't made any mention of the boat or Noah or keeping any of the animals yet. He keeps just saying, I'm going to kill them all. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Does anyone else think that? Or yeah, was I reading it wrong? It's no, strange. I'm reading it wrong. It's strange because it is almost like I've never seen almost like God saying that he's made a mistake and sort of going, oh, I'm sorry I even made them. It does come across like that. It comes mm. across like that, mm. doesn't it? Which well, that is, really is what he says. And then, yeah, he says they're all going to die. And then he goes, oh, apart from you. Mm. <laughs> it's like a bit of a U turn. What do you think, Beth, with your theology hat on? So, one of the things that, like, I immediately think about is exactly what you were saying, Lucy, is that at the beginning God is like, I made a mistake, yada yada, and then to go into that next chapter, it's like, it almost appears like God changed his mind, doesn't it? And it can feel a bit weird, but we have to remember, God doesn't change his mind because God is an eternal mind. What changes is man, and the change of man is Noah. When the author was writing this first bit, Noah hadn't been identified necessarily by God as being the man he is. Mm. So the reason that we didn't, God didn't wipe everything was because of Noah, because Noah mm. displayed the last of the goodness in man. And I think that's what's important. And that's, and it's, it's going back to what you were saying a little bit earlier, Joe. And I think we've all kind of, you've all kind of mentioned it in that it's, it, we think it's saying one thing, but then actually when we look at it on a bigger picture, when we think about what it's actually really saying in the end, one of the big themes of that is that Noah, and it says in like the st- verse 9, it says Noah was a righteous man, and I think that's important that it mm. finishes with what you were saying, Lucy, about God saying, I'm going to wipe everything from the earth, but Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord is verse 8, and in my eyes, if you find favour, that's similar to grace. Mm. And so it's a foreshadowing, actually, if we think about it in terms of what we know now of the New Testament as well. We know that even though we sin, we don't deserve to be have 
the eternal promise. We don't deserve to have heaven, a relationship with God, but what God gives us is grace. And Noah is a picture of that. So mm. what this story is doing is explaining to us and showing us that even though God can wipe everything from the earth, even he was going to do that, he found favour in Noah because Noah displayed the goodness, the righteousness, and he saw in Noah that A, Noah would do what he said, he was obedient mm. to God, but he was a righteous man, he loved his family, he served his God, and that's what is important. It's quite mm. hard. I struggle, and a lot of people struggle with the Old Testament God because he is a tough God. It's brutal. Mm. Yeah, and if you ever watch the film Noah, it yeah. shows the darkness and brutality of it. It You know, this story is dark, it's really dark. Yeah. And like mm. a very distant God as well, because you don't see, you don't tangibly see God in no. the film. It's no. very, and talk about a creator, mm. and then talk about, you know, we see some of the dreams and visions that Noah gets, but you don't really see anything beyond that. And you no. never hear a voice. No, no. Whereas in in the Bible reading, I feel like you're almost hearing the thoughts of God and that yeah. makes it a lot more uh, relatable in that way. But mm. It seems a lot more human, but yeah. that's the from the perspective of the reader. Mm. I think the more I read Old Testament stuff, I try to... So Beth and myself both have these <clears throat> Bibles that are called the Jesus Bibles. So they're, they tr- they sort of link old Bible stories to Jesus hmm. because as Jesus followers we believe that he is the way the truth and the life mm-hmm. and that everything that has gone before him was all aiming towards him what it does is it it highlights Jesus in the Old Testament yeah. it's not that like there's no need we don't need to and it's not difficult to pinpoint Jesus in these stories and no. that's what this Bible does is I think sometimes we just read them as very factual yeah. but when what this what we love about this Bible is that it just plainly shows like the favor that's grace that's jesus christ you know that's the favor in in those things mm. i don't know if any of you um are interested about the conversions of the ark so this the bible is actually very specific about the size of the ark it yeah. gives the measurements i was going to mm. say um find it hard to get my head around how big this thing was to fit yeah. all these animals on for so long and these units of cubits i don't know what that means and my um, message translation has it in feet which is a bit more helpful yeah and also it does explain how you know the image that we have of like the curved boat with one line of windows Mm. at the top with all the animals sticking out it does actually ask for windows at the top doesn't it Mm. Mm. so yeah we've got some of the truth yeah (laughs) so in our in my bible i have the physical bible my physical bible here it has um little footnote at the bottom but i also have it written down in my notes so it says, so it says, this is the ark is to be three hundred cubits long, fifty cubits wide, and thirty cubits high. So the understanding of cubits is that it's around eighteen to twenty-two inches. So that would make the ark four hundred and fifty feet long, seventy feet wide, and forty-five feet high, or one hundred and thirty-five meters long, twenty-three meters wide, and fourteen meters high. Mm. Is that what you'll say, Lucy? Yeah, that's what the message says too. Um. I remember when I was at university, my professor giving us like a physical description and apparently that's the same as having three NASA space shuttles from like literally touching in like in a line. Oh, wow. But I wonder if... I can't get my head around it. I don't know how big a NASA space shuttle is. Well, Well, it's about the same as an arc. I think he's... Sorry. Three three of them is about the same as an arc, isn't it? I think he also said it's like one and a half football pitches. Yeah. I don't have a football pitch. For goodness sake. (laughs) Would you want it in Jaffa Cakes? Yeah. (laughs) How many Jaffa Cakes is the arc? (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Maybe if you look at a cruise ship or a container ship... It will probably be that sort of size. Mm. So, like, okay. if you look at a container ship, they're two football pitches plus in width. Mm. So, you've if you put it in that sort of context, it's probably that sort of size. But yeah. So, I was just reminded of as we were talking about that the um, the replica of the ark that was made in. Mm. I mean, there's been a few kind of replicas over time, but there's one called. Um, the Ark Encounter Theme Park, which is in Kentucky in the US, um, which is quite a famous one. It's a bit of a tourist attraction. I have a friend who has been there. Um, but I think 
even though these things might sometimes seem very commercial and a money-making thing, I think there's also a value in trying to get your head around how huge these things are. Mm. It's only in that, you know, the time of when this was, this story happened, well, when this thing happened, it would have been before cranes and stuff as, as we know it and stuff like that. I mean, we were, yeah. we were talking, so we've, we've just been on a week camping, we drove past Stonehenge, and we were on the way back, we were saying how they made it. Like, mm. you think, when they made that, that's 3000 BC or something. Yeah. So it's a 1,000 years before Jesus. So yeah. it could be around the same sort of time. No no cranes. Yeah. How the heck did they lift these big stones in? And it'd probably be the same sort of thing with the ark. Like, how is... Or the same bloke. Maybe Noah's maybe, busy. <laughs> maybe he's like the handyman yeah. of the world. Like, oh, yeah, contact Noah. He'll know how to do it. Maybe he used Stonehenge to build the ark. <gasps> oh, conspiracy <laughs> theories! It's like stilts. We're gonna have like so that's theologically incorrect. Yeah, people are, like attack us. It's a joke. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's like, <laughs> no, don't, don't at me. I know nothing. <laughs> that's this. Yeah, it could be though. You never know. I, I love all the theories about where the ark is. There was a mm. Joanna Lumley program. Mm. She tried to find the ark, and she thought she found it on. Well, Mount they Sinai. they found a like a kind of border didn't they a that was the, the, exactly yeah. the same length as mm. what the bible says and it was on it was in the mountain range of Arab, whatever it's called and they were saying it could be that because it was like a like a rectangular oblong shape mm. i think that's maybe where the director for noah may have got his inspiration because that didn't look round that was square but i guess that makes sense the way he built it so that in the film it was <laughs> rectangular cube long whatever but it also um it made sense because if you're building it you're not going to be able to like make it curved are you so yeah. just building it is quite gotta remember that the purpose of it was not to travel across the sea it was just to keep people alive by floating on top of it so yeah. mm. having nice streamlined curves and all that was not necessity so beth answered my question a little while ago about um god's like u-turn change of heart from like wanting to destroy all creation to then actually um, finding salvation in Noah and deciding to keep the animals alive. And then that made me wonder, when you were talking, Beth, so who wrote this passage? Mm. Maybe that I was thinking as well, do we have to take this as being a truthful story of what happened, like a news event, or can we learn from it as a story and say, mm. I don't believe this happened, but... Mm. Well, because what's interesting is the things that we've looked at previously were in the gospels where we had four different accounts of the same story happening mm. which is really interesting to like compare and contrast the different accounts yeah. but now we've just got this one genesis account and it's like this is the word and this is what a lot of christianity is based on mm. but i personally don't know who wrote this i don't know where it came from and like you were saying from like a um, theological perspective i'm thinking from a sociological perspective of like who the narrator is and what mm. their relationship was with what was going on. When did they hear this story? Who did they hear the yeah. story from? Because unless it was one of Noah's family, they weren't there. No. So it's got to be a second, third, fourth hand account. Yeah, because it could be like his sons, Noah's sons, grandchildren. Yeah. Or something like that. And that's already, what, four or five generations yeah. removed? And if Just Noah like was Chinese 600, whispers. it could be yeah. years and years later. Mm. So, Beth, interesting. do you have the answer to my question? Who wrote Genesis? Malcolm Genesis. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Malcolm Genesis. Nice guy. Lives in New York well, now. Well, so this was the this was the thing I was like I was a little bit nervous to get onto into the podcast because Sorry. no, not just, <laughs> no, but this is an important part. But I but I feel like this is where we get to the bit that I really struggle with coming from a theological aspect, but also having a lot of now influence from the modern world and sociology and things like that. So it is the, do we take the stories like creation, Noah, Moses, the, you know, parting the water, for example, do we take these as historically accurate examples because they are written in the Bible, which we believe to be the divinely inspired word of God? Or do we take them as stories created to shape our understanding of God and imagery to, again, shape our understanding of that. There are arguments on both sides and I think it's all about a personal understanding with that. 
So going to your question directly, Lucy, Esau immediately came to mind and then I was like, but Moses is also, it says here, author of Genesis is not named. Though the Pentateuch is known as the book of Moses, nowhere in the book of Genesis is the author named. Until the last 300 years, both Jews and Christians were all, were almost unanimous in their belief that Moses was the author, or at least the compiler of Genesis, as well as the author of Exodus through to Deuteronomy. Reasons for the rejection of Moses' authorship were not based upon any objective evidence, but stemmed from an anti-supernatural bias on behalf of the critics. So I wonder, so in the film, at the end, well, there, were, there was like the last sort of few, it was like the countdown, wasn't it, in the, in the arc? And he was telling the story of creation. He was going, oh, my father told me yeah. this. So I wonder if it is that kind of thing. So like, you know, Ham and all that have just gone, my father taught me to say mm. this. Yeah. And then it's just been passed through, passed down. Yeah. Almost like was, a tradition. If it was Moses, I don't know how many generations removed that is, but no. he obviously led the exodus of the people out of Egypt. Mm. And that was a lot of people, so a lot of time is going to have passed for humanity to have built up that much again. So that's mm. got to be centuries, surely. Yeah. So it's not like we're reading a first-hand account of what happened, is what I'm trying to get at. It is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because you think, oh, like you say, it's either got to be someone who's there going, this is what happened. Like mm. we've said with the Gospels, when we've looked at the Gospels, we've gone, you know, got four accounts, or... It is this Chinese whispers kind of thing, or actually, it was that exactly what happened? Like, was it, mm. you know, these particular measurements? I mean, that's a very specific thing to remember, so I don't see mm. why. But maybe that is important because yeah. that came directly from God. Mm. The bits that they've left yeah. out that we've talked about, like the food and the toilets, yeah. is that the bit that you'd really pass on? Maybe like, there was carnage on the ark. Maybe. maybe there was like a lion <laughs> for like a couple of days. And Noah was like, keep that between ourselves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't Do pass not that share down. That down. Yeah. to Moses because he will write it down <laughs> but then it's like any stories we share isn't it if you look at our social medias you don't share the horrible bits do you no. Joe and I have two cats so we've got two of a breed and we don't tell you about all the poo do we and changing the litter tray no we show you all the cute pictures and tell you about when they were really funny we don't tell you about when we had to clear up cat sick off the no. desk like you just don't mention those bits do you so it's probably not actually that surprising no. that it is quite a jolly account of it really mm, the yeah. desk <laughs> mm, on our wedding certificate remember oh yeah oh yeah did That's I tell you about that yeah yeah oh, oh have it's only on the corner the envelope is more ruined than yeah. the certificate <laughs> means the marriage is made on the band oh well and single <laughs> but I <laughs> also yeah so like one of the things that of it I remember talking about a lot when we were talking about um, the film versus the biblical context, is you also have to understand, like, obviously the biblical text. And one of the things is that, again, is the author and where that comes from, etc. And obviously there are also stories in other religions and in other in other spheres of a flood. So there is one, there's one, I'm trying to remember, I'm pretty sure it's Egypt. It's like a, basically a story of a, a great flood in an Egyptian like text or something. Mm. That's that's mirrors it. I think very closely the same story. So, yeah. but yeah. it's like the same thing. It's my belief in when we have you know other religions share similar stories. Obviously, Islam and share, they share the same prophets. So they have Noah and Moses and Abraham, etc. And just because an uh, another group of people have the same text, doesn't mean that it's not the same action doesn't mean it's not the same god it just means they've interpreted it in a different way mm -hmm. um obviously their text was written a long time before that but it doesn't necessarily mean that this text was written from that account because yeah. mm. we're they're not the author isn't saying that noah no one believes that noah is the author of this text because obviously genesis covers a lot of people and a lot of time so the author mm. was likely somebody who was Young, who was younger than all of these people because they recounted all of these stories. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't really know what my point was with that. <laughs> no, it makes <laughs> sense, though. Yeah. But, uh, because yeah, cause it is point of view, isn't it, as well? So, like, you know, if you're being told a story, like we've said it before, my account of a story is going to be very, very different to how Beth comes across on a story. Yeah. And it's like that, I think, with a lot of these stories. Like, we, we've heard about a couple, even, like, the, the splitting of the sea, where Moses 
happen again in an Egyptian text or on one of those sort of things on the wall. There's Hieroglyphs. A, them. Um, there's something about the people journeying to another land, and, about the, and they were saying about oh, it's not the Red Sea; it's somewhere else, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. So it is. It's it's what people have heard. It's what people share, isn't it? It's just that yeah. people are different. Um, so I actually had a slight change of direction. <laughs> <laughs> this could be going anywhere. Uh, I'm going solo. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> I'm going to I'm... be trained as a medical doctor. <laughs> I'm at the table. <laughs> you guys are under it. <laughs> so I have a question for you, which might slightly change the direction of our conversation. Ooh. Anybody have anything to say before I change direction? No, I absolutely love this. Go for it. Right. So... What we've got so far is our Sunday school vision of Noah's Ark. It's colourful, it's bright, it's bubbly, it's a pretty cool story. And it's normally like pictured really brightly. Technicolour. Yeah, it's Technicolour Noah. And so we've got Technicolour Noah. Mm-hmm. And then we've got, for example, the adaptation we've just seen of Noah on the big screen, mm-hmm. which is dark and broody and brutal and essentially depicts genocide and Mm. the mass extinction of humanity and all creatures, obviously apart from those on the Ark. And there are really dark scenes in it. One that really stood out to me, without wishing to have too many spoilers, was when the family were in the Ark, the flood had just started, and they were trying to, they were sort of sitting around a fire having their dinner, and they could hear all the people in the water outside screaming. And they were having this debate within the family of whether they should save all the people they can hear dying Mm. outside. So that is the reality of what happened. Although that's obviously a film adaptation, that is what happened. The people outside the boat died. The people in the boat survived. Mm. And then what we tell our children is that it was a really happy, colourful story and there were two giraffes sticking out the um, window. (laughs) There was a dove flying above um, and there was a rainbow in the sky. And it's all lovely. So, is that the right thing to be telling children? Or should we be telling them a truer version of a story? Or should we be waiting until they're older so they can know the true story? Because I'm finding it very confusing now, as a young adult, having to relearn everything I learned in Sunday Mm. school Mm. and in church up until now. Mm. I think this series is going to show that every story I thought I knew, I didn't know. Mm. So what was the point in telling me this is how it was if I now have to relearn it and actually learn a brutal truth about this religion that I'm already a part of it's a big question but is that right should we be telling children the nice version or should we not be telling them yet or should Mm. we be telling them the true version that's a really good question I do think honesty is is best when it comes to this because I think if we're teaching kids about the will of God we need to teach them early that we will never understand God's will. So we will never understand why our friends get cancer or things happen in life that you just think, why has it happened to me? There's going to be always that thing. So if we teach our kids or those within our Sunday schools the right stuff at that time, it would be better than, like you say, almost learning when you're, twent- in your, when you're in your 20s because your whole mindset can change. And that's why so many people were almost deconstructing their faith and Mm. deconstructing their whole belief system is because they've technically been lied to, Mm. you know, and that is a danger. And actually, why are we afraid? Why do we sugarcoat it? Mm -hmm. Because actually we should be more open about the brutality of of stuff. Even the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we can easily sugarcoat that and we discussed that in our last season, Mm -hmm. that it's such a sugarcoated thing when actually it's horrific and brutal and bloody Mm -hmm. and we should always be more honest about that sort of stuff. So Yeah, I really agree with you, John. I think um, that sounded really robotic. Yeah, I agree with you, John. That's actually quite good. I've been Um, impressed. One of the things when you were saying about how we should be honest with you know, people and children in particular about, you know, how life is brutal. I think when we try and shield children in particular from reality, the reality of life, that life is tough and hard and things bad things happen, is when children make find it difficult to process difficult things later on in life. 
but I don't we do the same with the Bible that we do with life. The Bible is real. There are mm. the gen the you know the mass genocide of all of humanity is the core of this story, and that is horrific to think about, isn't it? But so much the rest of the Bible is so there's so many things in it that you think, oh my gosh, I want my children to hear that. And yes, of course, we do have to be sensitive, but this is real. That this happens. The things in this Bible still happen today. People are still slaughtered and murdered, and people are still fighting each other all the time. Like mm. this isn't a re this isn't something that only happened in the biblical times. This happens now. Why are we shying away from it? I'm not saying, of course, that we shouldn't. We should tell children in primary primaries are like young children like they they can come in from maybe two to four and till they're seven in our church that's what primary is in context for those who are not army i'm not saying we should be telling four-year-olds about necessarily the mass genocide in that sense but i think there isn't any harm in telling children that got that sin was real that bad mm. things happened then as they do now and that god tried to stop it god tried to ensure that bad things didn't happen in the world so to do that he tried to he got rid of everybody through a flood a big flood and children are way more resilient than we think as well mm. and i think i would much rather have known that as a child and known that bad things happen in the world and that god tries to get rid of it but he also tries to save it like let's not ignore the fact that yes he I know there is the mass genocide of all humanity, but God still saves humankind by keeping Noah and, and his family. He continues it. He doesn't want it to end. He doesn't stop it there. Mm. Through Noah and his sons and their children, humanity started again and we got a second chance. Now, spoiler alert, we know that didn't go too well either and Jesus Christ had to come again and that's how things were made even better and more perfect in our relationship with God and having an eternal life and that you know, he's another podcast in itself, but we can't, I think we need to be more transparent. We need to be mm. more open and honest. And I agree with you, Lucy, that we are doing a disjustice to young people. And quite frankly, I think to the Bible mm. by sugarcoating it, by making it Disney-fied. Yeah. Yeah. My personal feelings, definitely not a child psychologist or anything like that, but um, yeah, like you said, it's almost a, injustice to the bible and to children when you think about the fact that lots of younger children in the primary or the sunday school have like a wooden replica of the ark with all the animals that they put inside it and that's what they know of it mm. when actually the reality is that on the outside of that boat should be thousands of people clinging to it asking for life mm. and we just don't tell them that mm. so then it's going to does it mess with their mind later mm. on when they realise that actually that story wasn't what you thought it was? So my personal feeling is that instead of giving them this colourful boat to play with, you wait until they're older and tell them the real story. Mm. Like you said, not four-year-olds. And I don't know what age would be appropriate. That's obviously maybe a personal thing for parents to decide. But I just think you need to know the truth, really. Because mm. I feel like now... I'm like learning a whole new religion is mm. how I feel because I'm I'm in my mid-twenties and all I remember is Sunday school stories and I call myself a Christian yet my view of the ark is still this colourful um, boat with giraffes sticking out the windows. Mm -hmm. I don't know the true story because that wasn't what was told to me. Mm. Even as a teenager they didn't revisit the story and say well this is what you thought but now this is actually a slightly darker bit. There was nothing, none of that. Yeah. So I'm doing it myself and having to relearn this whole new religion. So I almost feel like a fraud calling myself a Christian because I'm like, I don't know the Bible. I don't know it nearly well enough to justify calling myself a Christian. And I'm sure there's going to be other people that feel that way. Mm. Isn't it... I know we will ask you in a second, Joe, what you think. Isn't it funny, though, that we, like, sugarcoat the Bible like we sugarcoat life, isn't it? It's mm. like we try and present everything as okay and we try to make everything seem so shiny and happy, like you said, with social media, but the reality is that it isn't that. Mm. So we shouldn't... It's not... We are service to ourselves as human beings and to, and to our understanding of life and the scripture and Bible actually should just be to, to read it at its core of what mm. it is. It's not nice, it's not pretty what's said in here but neither's life no. if we understand that we see that bit you know we have that there about the destruction 
but what follows is grace. Mm -hmm. What follows is God using Noah to restart again, to the promise, you know, and then we have the covenant later on, God's promise that he will never do that again. There's so many good things after that. So it's not, yes, there is a darkness in it, but there's darkness Mm. in this world. That's what happened when sin entered this world. Mm. But God resolves that with the covenant, with and the covenant of the rainbow, but also then later the covenant that we have with Jesus Christ. Mm. Do you think we sugarcoat it in Sunday school because we don't want to put off potential future Christians? Yeah. Because yeah. lots of our friends who aren't Christians, who haven't been to church, will still know the story of Noah. Yeah. Mm. They'll know Noah's Ark and the animals went in two by two because that have been taught in primary schools across the country. There's television adaptations, there's toys. Mm. But does it does that put them off being a Christian, not knowing the full story? Or did we tell them the sugar-coated version to stop them not wanting to be a Christian? Mm. Mm. I do. And, but did it work? Yeah. <laughs> I actually wonder what it would be like for a new Christian adult to learn this story if they had never known the childhood story, mm. how that would come across to them. Like you were saying, there are similar stories in other religions. If we were to read their full stories from their um, holy books without knowing the story that they were told in their version of Sunday School, mm. how that would impact us and what we would think of it. Because yeah. you, you can't ever forget the Sunday School version, I think. Yeah. You can't just erase it and know the new story. You've mm. got... I, well, I've got two different stories. Mm. <laughs> I've got my Sunday School story and I've got the Noah that we just saw in, yeah. in the film, that kind of version of it that's just so much more real and brutal. So I wonder what impression you'd get if you didn't have the original Sunday Mm. school version Mm. and whether that would, how that would impact your faith or your reliance on the Bible or your belief in the Bible, whether it would have an impact on that or Mm. not. Yeah. That's a good point. Joe. What are your thoughts to Lucy's question? Because we haven't... um... (laughs) We've just kind of like spoke earlier. I don't think I have anything more to add. Because I'll just be saying what we've already said the end. 15 different ways. Is there anything you've like thought of as it's gone along? Do you just, other than echoing... I think the thing that stood out to me most from reading this again is just something that I already mentioned, which is about where we kind of place the emphasis. I think both in what we were just saying about um, the childhood version of the story, I think we focus a lot on the boat and the mm. animals, and I think... Also, when we think about it, we try and emphasise the how it was done, um, the behind the curtain kind of thing. And mm. I think reading it again has shown to me that that's probably not what the important bit is and what we're supposed to be focusing on. Mm. It's like when you tell a story to someone and they focus on the one detail that you like, I wasn't even thinking about that. And you're like, you've missed the point of what I was saying. Yeah. Maybe God sometimes <laughs> listens to us banging on about the ark and the animals and he's like hang on I wanted to talk to you about the rainbow Mm. so um, yeah I think it's just something to be mindful when we read these stories whether we treat them as stories or as news reports I think we've got to think more about what the message that we should be taking from it is Mm. Mm. that's a good point and I think think as well is that one of the things I always think about because the Old Testament God and we've said presents a big bag a big bad god and this awful god that committed this act and the way i i try to see it whether that's right or wrong is that actually it was more god resented and hated the wickedness that was bit that was taking place in that you know people were killing each other constantly murdering animals incensuously like meaninglessly it was all there was just wickedness it was it wasn't just like meaningless things. It was pure, like it was horrible. And God resented all of that. And he like felt personally about that. So how I try to see it is that this God, that God was almost like physically hurt by, not that God is a physical being, just not saying that, but it was almost like a, an injury to God that this was happening. It pained him so much. It's almost like, you know, like an ultimatum, like I've got nothing else to do. Like, what do I do? Mm. Because I can't, I cannot go on letting this happen. I cannot continue to watch man do this to each other. And while some like people often say to you, how can you love a God that would commit mass genocide? And I'm like, I don't love a God that committed mass genocide. I love a God that hated 
the wickedness in the, in the world so much that he had to do something about it, mm. that he had to try and start again, that he wanted humans to be pure and he wanted humans to be good and he wanted us to have a relationship with him. Mm. That's the God I serve. Well, he, and he loved us so much and it was out of love that he did this. Yeah. And again, we try and bring Jesus into, the, into this story he loved, you know, God loved us so much that he did what he had to do to get rid of the wickedness. Like you say, mm-hmm. you saw the, the, the faith and you saw the love and you saw the grace that Noah had. And that was the, almost like the light that he saw for humankind to go into the future. And then from that, you know, you see Jesus through it as well, because you, you see that Jesus was sent into this world a few hundred years later from probably a thousand or so, I don't know the the exact timeline, but Jesus then has to come and instead of humans dying for purity, Jesus goes to the cross for us Mm. and dies for our sins so we don't have to die in sin. But we are forgiven for the sins that we've committed and the sins that we don't even know we're going to commit yet which is mind-boggling in its own right, that this this guy walked the, walked the world for 33 years, then goes to a cross and died for us. And I think there's this whole big sacrifice. He's the sacrifice, you know, sacrificial lamb that we, did not, we do not deserve at mm. all, and that is grace. And I think that comes through in this story. The more I listen to how we feel about, you know, the mass genocide actually I, I see a bigger picture in the sense that Jesus went to a cross as a as a as the sacrificial lamb so many years later for the, almost the same reason mm, he, it was, he, yeah. and he opened the sky and almost well, he went up like a rainbow in a sense mm. of that time yeah I was just gonna say like I love the fact that the covenant says that he will never do that again and it's obviously after this we continue to sin and god was like what am i going to do i promised i would never do that again so instead of us all yeah instead of us having to die again he sends his son to die for us so the covenant that the image of the rainbow is a reminder not only of the promise in that he wasn't going to do that but it's the promise of what jesus did to me every time i see a rainbow i'm reminded of that that he never promised to do that again and we don't have to pay for our sins because Jesus already did. And that to me is just mind-blowing that we're reading a story about this here and Noah that happened thousands of years and then Jesus did something that directly correlates with that. That to mm. me, again, is just its just something I can't even comprehend. Mm. It's interesting that there's so much depth to unpack in this story. Mm. But then thinking back to the film, uh, it's interesting that they felt the need to add like side stories into it mm. as if the mm. original story wasn't enough yeah like not that a film has to be an exact replica of the bible obviously they've got artistic license but it's just interesting to me that they changed some real basics about the story like like all the sons having wives there was a whole storyline about that which isn't in the bible the bible's mm. very simple all three sons had wives and continued the line mm. they made more of a storyline of that yeah. Finding that more interesting than perhaps, yeah, the Jesus in the future and humanity's sin, that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm. And like you said, we don't actually see God, so all the disdain for humanity is seen through Noah. Mm. So he sort of reflects God's anger. Yeah. Which makes mm. sense, but it's just, yeah, interesting that instead of unpacking the information that we already had on God's anger or. Um, yeah, the sin and the future of humanity. They kept the story quite short in terms of it started just before the flood and it ended just after the flood. Yeah. And they added in lots of extras to the film as if what we're already given isn't an amazing enough story as it is. Yeah. Mm. And when I think about the film, the sin is so prevalent to us, isn't it? It's displayed not only in the actions of the people, the men. Noah calls them men. He says that the men are coming. It's almost mm. like he's not. He considers himself separate from men and the sin includes eating animals it includes um not just eating though like the barbaric fighting over animals yeah and yeah trading them trading about to say yeah and just everything like 
the destroying of the earth so the the land looked ba- like barren didn't it mm. there was no there was no lushness there was nothing green the green then came from god didn't it yeah it was interesting like the world before that before the flood was just stony and ashy and almost like volcanic lava and but then after that we saw the green didn't we that they were building on yeah. and it's it's a very clear image that sin necessarily the darkness doesn't just have to be of humanity and the actions obviously that was displayed in the actions of the men killing fighting the rape the pillaging all of that but it was also in the earth and that it can be it was a very clear picture to me that that was there but yeah it's funny that in the film there was a lot of artistic license in some of the things and there were lots of things that were different and they added but that's what someone's allowed to do and I always find it really weird when people get angry about biblical films being made like that's not accurate and I'm like and I'll wait till you see Harry Potter yeah (laughs) yeah but like that's it's artistic interpretation you know it's like if, if I was to retell a story like we've said before we all retell things differently how you God created our brains to be different so we're going to create things differently I think actually it was a really beautiful film and a really interesting depiction it made me when I watched it it made me think so many different things about scripture about God and yes I know they don't refer to him as God they refer to him as the creator but that's because the director didn't want to pinpoint it to just Christianity he said in a interview that he wanted this to be available to all religions and that's all and to do that that's why he called him creator he didn't specify him as god or allah or whatever and i and i understand that i think i you know i don't i'm not mad about that i actually like that but as a christian i can read that and i can take what i know and feed it into that is is i find it really beautiful and a, and a nice way that it can be interpreted i think any good story or film is one that makes you think and mm. I think mm. I feel like that's something we've done through watching it and through reading the story again is we've actually thought about it and not just taking it as ah oh, here's a here's a thing that happened and not gone beyond that yeah I had another quick change of subject before we wrap up <laughs> is Noah the original vegetarian so I actually found in my notes what I wrote about the vegetarian we did wonder this didn't we, we vegetarianism were so these are my notes that I found that I had saved onto my OneDrive from uni because I'm a little geek that saves all her stuff Um, so these are the things that are correct so the movie implies that Noah and his family don't eat meat when Noah and Ham are attacked by two volcanoes people Ham is confused about why they're killing animals there is some biblical implication that before the flood people didn't eat animals after the flood however it's very clear in chapter 9 God says everything moving that liveth shall be meat for you even the green herb i've given you all things so it's not specific and very clear but the film was very clear on the fact that they don't eat them because they're of god so they are precious um, and they survive off berries and other things so we want to thank you for tuning in once again and listening to us (gasps) I forgot something that I was going to do at the yes, start. Yes, Joe, I was going to kind of give you a hint. Well, last time we said, tell us if you're listening and we'll give you a shout out. Matt Butler down in Bognor Regis. We, we want to shout you, you Matt out. And Sarah. You said that you listened to episode one of season two, walking along the seafront down in old Bognor. Um, if you're there now, give us a wave. <laughs> wave across the sea. <laughs> wave across the sea to France. That makes no sense. Ignore what I've just said. But hi, Matt. Um, if you want your own shout out, um, they're five pound each. <laughs> um, just send us a message and we'll shout you out. Yeah. yeah. Send us a message on any Let us know. of the socials. A letter. Yeah, would Carry pigeon, pigeon Karen. Yeah, dry. Pigeon Karen. <laughs> Carrier. Yeah. Don't say Karen. So, I pi- think Pigeon I, Karen. No, <laughs> I meant to say Carrier, but Car- but John gave me a hug. <laughs> this is. This is my pigeon! <laughs> Karen! And her sister Sheena! I've got a message for you! Oh, John like high fived me mid, so I think it cut, okay, cut me off. Sorry. But, um, sorry, yeah, Karen. please message us on any of our socials Facebook, Instagram, or leave us a review on Apple. Um, and say if you write your name, we'll give you a shout out. But thank you, we are really excited to be back again recording. I haven't 
realize how much I've like missed it until we're back again. Aww. So um, I really love sharing. It's gonna make me cry with these three strange weirdos. Um, <laughs> I'm, oh. I'm strange weirdo too. It's fine. We're all. We only said three, so who's not included? Yeah. Me. No, we're all included. I was saying I love additionality. Me. Anyway, <laughs> um, we hope you have enjoyed listening to this and we'd love to hear your thoughts on some of the things. So, Lucy asked some really interesting questions, and obviously, some really interesting topics were raised. We'd love to hear your points. So, feel free to message any of us, message us at on directly at or at the table socials or you can message us on our Faversham um, socials Faversham Salvation Army Facebook Instagram Twitter anything else YouTube if you want to not that they've got much on there and it won't be related to but um, I'd love to hear from you any which way yeah but we are so thankful to be back and sharing these stories with you and mm. so bye see you bye. later bye bye cheerio Pip, pip, cheerio. <sighs> <laughs>